before we begin today's show. Our guys, Zach Lowe and Adrian Wojnarski, are back in full force. In his latest podcast, Zach and Kevin Arnovitz talk about the surprising Suns and what to make of the 76ers. Woj also talks to Warriors GM Bob Myers in a wide-ranging conversation about his plans for Golden State's future and what went wrong at the end of the Kevin Durant run in the Bay Area. The Low Post and the Woj Pod. Check them out wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Hoop Collective podcast. We talk about the NBA we are presented by Goodyear. Drive always discovers possibilities. Goodyear, more driven. Join today. It's Wednesday, so afternoon. We're doing this in the afternoon right now. The uh, Grizzlies and uh, Jazz are battling it out. That's interesting to keep an eye on. But um, uh, joining me from Boston is Jackie McMullen. Jackie, I hope you're doing well. I'm doing my best, Mr. Windhorst, trying to exist outside the bubble. Right. And joining us from the the Dallas, Texas area is Timothy Band McMahon. Hi, Tim. Howdy, partners. Um, So as we've seen the first now week of the bubble, it's been highly, in my opinion, I see some people kind of saying, well, this feels like preseason. And I'm like, if you say so, I, I respectfully disagree. I can certainly say that it doesn't feel like watching a game in the surround because of the way the court is surrounded. But I don't care about that. If you do, um, I apologize, but I don't care. When I'm watching what's on the court, I'm seeing high-level basketball, and most of the games have been close. Almost all the national TV games every night have been highly competitive. Um, I think it's been wonderful. It couldn't have gone better. We had another report of tests today, zero positives for a third straight week, which is just brilliant news. Um, But one of the things that um, I think is – has become fascinating um, is not only the eighth seed, but with the Lakers clinching the number one seed a couple of days ago, um, it's starting to wonder, like, what is this Lakers first round matchup going to be, especially as the Grizzlies um, both struggling and dealt with a, another disappointing blow as Jaron Jackson is out for the foreseeable future with a torn meniscus. He was playing the best basketball he's played. Um, and so the Grizzlies almost certainly are going to face a play-in tournament uh, at the minimum if they can even hold on to the eight, the way things are going. And we have the sun surging. The Spurs are making a run. Um, the Blazers are surging. Um, so, Jackie, I've started to wonder, should the Lakers start – should the Lakers really be worried about who they may end up playing in the first round? No. Not the Lakers. Not in my opinion. You know, I'm sure LeBron would be the first to say we're going to play whoever they put in front of us. And if we're going to be champions, you have to be willing to beat everybody. And I just think that regardless of who it is, is anybody going to favor that team over over the Lakers, who I know have had their ups and downs? Not favor, but what about the challenge it may be? Well, I mean, who are we talking about? Maybe Uh, I think there's something to that. Portland's the one just because the explosiveness, the experience now with, uh, with Nurkic and Collins back, the size that, that I think matches up well against the Lakers. And, and look, I'm not sitting here saying I think Portland would beat the Lakers in a series or, you know, I mean, I think that's a very, very, very long shot. But do I think Portland might be able to stretch them to six and make them sweat a little bit and make them work harder than 
you would want to work as a one seed in the first round. Yeah, I do think that's a possibility. Well, that's fair, especially because Dame Lillard should scare everybody every minute of every day because he's that explosive and he can have, we've seen him do it. We saw him do it in the postseason last year. So I understand your point there. It's, it's, I think it's been great, honestly, that, you know, there was a lot of complaining about the idea of a playing game and, and, you know, conspiracy theorists think that, you know, the Memphis Grizzlies schedule was tougher than everyone else. I mean, that's just, I, I don't buy into any of that, but it's just, you know, the Grizzlies look young to me. That's what's happened here in the bubble before poor Jaron Jackson went down. And they are young. We know they're young. And look to me, I've tried to watch most of their games when they got, when the game got tight, instead of attacking the rim, which they can do very well, they're such an athletic team, you know, they were settling for threes and jump shots. And that's what happened. You know, that's when you try to get the game back all at once, right on one play. And I think it was in that loss to the Pelicans. I think Jackson and Ja together were something like three for 18 from the three point line. So those are just growing pains in experience. Now, I don't know what's going to happen today with this game with the Jazz, but if you look at the Grizzlies schedule going forward, after the Jazz, it's OKC, they've got Toronto, they've got Boston, and Milwaukee, I believe. So they got their hands full. So as I look at the Lakers, um, I, I, and, I, and I evaluate where they're headed, I'm constantly focused on the wings, which is so much about the NBA today anyway. But um, when the Lakers play a team that has you know, really big, strong, athletic wing players, um, they sometimes tend to struggle a little bit, uh, specifically LeBron. And uh, Tim Bontemps wrote about this um, in a piece that he had today where he looked at every single team. And when you look at what LeBron has done this season against teams with really big, good wings like the Raptors, the Celtics, um, the Clippers, he has struggled um, by his standards. His numbers have been down a little bit. And in the first two games in the bubble where he had less than normal good games was against the Raptors and Clippers who have, who have good, strong wings. So I'm looking in, those, in those, those teams around eight. Is there a team that can really challenge the Lakers on the wings because they don't have Avery Bradley, they don't have Rondo, and they're relying on some unproven guys out there. I still consider Deion Waiters an unproven player. Um, Alex Caruso, while I really like him as a player, is kind of unproven. Um, they just don't have the depth there. Um, and I just don't see that in any of those eight seed teams. Um, and in Portland, the interesting thing would be what Threats the slimmed night? down. What's that? Did you see Melo's defense down the stretch last night? Well, that's what I was going to say. I, Carmelo I see... Anthony, defensive stopper. Yes, the slim down mellow. What does he look like against LeBron? They've you know they've only played each other in one playoff series. That was back in 2012 when Mello was with the Knicks. It was a gentleman's sweep, four-one. And I got to tell you, I attended every game. I don't have any memories of that series, uh, so it must not have been that in, in uh, that intense. But it would be interesting as Svelte Mellow goes up against LeBron, uh, how that would go, Tim. Huh. I think it's a good one-liner. I don't think it's a good seven-game series, or at least that matchup. Uh, I put it like this. If the Blazers are going to challenge the Lakers, it ain't going to be because they limit LeBron. It'll be because Dame and, and McCollum just absolutely get it rolling. And I think because uh, their big guys at least can compete. I'm not saying they'll get the best of Anthony Davis, but at least be competitive against them. Right. 
And, you know, I do think you can't stress enough, at least whenever I talk to any coaches or GMs about the Lakers, they just say you can't make enough of the fact that Bradley isn't there. That perimeter defense was so important to making them one of the top three defenses all year in the league. And, you know, some of the things that the, the Lakers have been struggling with early can fix, can be fixed. That cannot be fixed. I mean, Avery Bradley isn't coming back. Now, Rondo, is, we, we, now we know he's working out in Orlando, so maybe he's getting closer to a return. But Avery Bradley's not coming back, as Rick Pitino would famously say. He's not walking through that door. Well, I was kind of surprised. Um, I, I, I sort of had mixed emotions when the Lakers, you know, clinched the number one seed with a win earlier this week. You know, LeBron and the team kind of made a big deal of it. And LeBron was kind of like, look, they said I couldn't do this. I, th- I guess he means like I couldn't compete in the West. I mean, I think that was that? used. To, that's what who I said. I, I think it's been it's been used against him occasionally. But LeBron, LeBron still won four. MVP awards, you know, in the East, probably could have won one or two more. It wasn't like nobody ever thought he was the best player. I think what what people discredited him on was that, you know, he wouldn't have gone to eight straight finals if he was in the West. And that's unequivocally true. He would not have because three of the years he was in Cleveland, they didn't beat the Warriors. So if they did, they couldn't have beaten the Warriors, um, you know, uh, in the finals. They wouldn't have beaten them in a Western playoff series. And so I don't think it's that debatable. I also don't think that that's an insult to LeBron to say that if you were in the West, he wouldn't have been to as many finals. Like if, if he takes as an insult, I can't help you. I mean, you know, he was the guy who all those years, and by the way, this has been mostly true. You know, I can't tell you how many times I typed a quote into a computer that's where LeBron said, uh, it doesn't matter where I'm seated. Um, all that matters is me getting in. You know, any team that has me has a chance. And by the way, that was true. That was, you know, the three years he won the title, he was not a number one seed any of those years. Uh, a couple of times he was the number one overall seed in the whole league and didn't reach the finals with his first round in Cleveland. Um you know, so I'm not – LeBron's beating his chest a little bit, and I certainly am prepared to tip my cap to the Lakers. I did not foresee this team being – I thought they would be a, a low to mid-50s win team, maybe high 50s if they stayed healthy. I did not foresee them being the number one overall seed, so they definitely deserve credit for that. But I don't, I don't really buy um, – I don't really buy this, um, you know, oh, I was disrespected stuff. Um, but – um, I do think that the Lakers are in okay position against any of these teams. I would be, Jackie, a little bit interested to see if, if Houston stays in four. That potential series, I would, I've been talking about this for weeks. As I've watched the Rockets, uh, I've kind, you know, they don't have Eric Gordon right now, but I, I think that would be a great test, Jackie, if that is the way the bracket lines up. I, I almost think that Laker fans who are watching the eight seed also should be watching the four seed and who ends up there right. as well, Jackie. Yes, and, you know, Tim has been talking about this all along, that the team that probably benefited most from the sudden halt because of the pandemic was the Rockets because they had just gone to that small ball. You know, they had traded on Clint Capella, and they were asking so much of P.J. Tucker, and Tim talked about it at length for us on this pod many times. And so now they come back. I mean, um, Harden looks so good. Tim, has he? do you think he's lost? How much weight do you think he's lost? Uh, maybe 10 pounds. Ten pounds I just think is a he's big fresher, deal, though. Although, yeah, that's a yeah, big deal, though. And, and that's a guesstimate. 
Yeah. I'll, I'll say this though. Yeah, he he looks good, but he also just had under twenty five points in two straight games for the second time all season. Right. So right. you know. Now Portland I, Portland's I, throwing the doubles at him again, and so did the Mavericks. Of course, the Mavericks yeah. held him to forty nine, but hey. Well, and Daniel House went off on <laughs> on the Mavs, right? Yeah, Daniel House. Is well, but good. Rockets scored one hundred fifty three. A lot of guys went off. But isn't that interesting? Like the one thing I've noticed that I didn't expect in the bubble is all these so-called elite defensive teams struggling defensively. And I always believe that defense, sure, it's got to do a little bit with timing, but it's mostly effort. It's mostly a mindset. And you're watching teams like the Sixers give up 130 points, 127. The Celtics have been porous. You know, the Clippers have not been that good defensively. And those and, and the Lakers the have had their moments, and those are the right, and those are the teams well, that are the top you know, defensive teams in the yeah, league. Let's let's briefly discuss the Bucks for just a second. Now, the the loss that they had to the Nets, they they sat Giannis and Middleton in the second half. Okay, I'm not going to freak out about the loss. Um, the Bucks have a strat. It's, it's very interesting. Mike Budenholzer believes in the strategy that even though we are in 2020 that it is more important to protect the inside shots and the paint to defend at the rim than it is to defend the three-pointer. And so they will allow three-point shots, and they still play the percentages. And occasionally this year, I think it's happened six or seven times, they have given up like 25 or more three-pointers or 23 or more three-pointers, and they get rolled. And, you know, I remember Budenholzer coached this way in a certain way when he was in Atlanta and the Cavs came in there when they were the number one seed had three of the hottest three-point shooting games you'll ever see at least back in in that era they broke every record for three-point shooting in a in a series and it was only a four-game series and rolled them and so the Bucks are susceptible to the three-point shot Um, I don't know if any team is you know can do it four times, but I also have watched the Bucks struggle under pressure in half court defense, and for a team that looked just absolutely invincible for most of the regular season, although we knew about their their, tr- their struggles with Giannis shooting under pressure, and they've also had some guys coming off off the virus. Jackie, I've just seen a little bit of softness in the Bucks. Uh, they've got plenty of time because they have a huge advantage of not having to probably work that hard for the seeding games in the first round. So they've got plenty of time to round into form, but they need to round into form. Well, and nothing's going to change from the, the way you're describing them, and you're right. They're, you know, Toronto's the other team that does that. They'll dare you to shoot the 3-2. Those are the two teams that do that. And that's, you know, but Toronto, what they do in addition is throw some kind of wonky things at you that you've never seen before, right? Whether it's a, you know, different kinds of zones and matchup zones and things like that. So uh, I'm not that worried about Milwaukee. I think, you know, that loss to the Nets to me was, you know, your MVP, probable defensive player of the year. And Chris Milton, I think has a shot of being a third team all NBA player, weren't playing. So I I refuse to put a whole bunch of stuff Well, they didn't play in the second half. But yeah, no, I yeah. agree. I agree. So, um, have you have you have any impressions of the Bucks, McMahon? Yeah, I, I'm not going to overreact to a few games, um, but I don't think they're invincible by any stretch. And you know, the, there's going to be questions. You know, Giannis is him and Harden are the two guys who there's going to be questions about their ability to lead a team to a title until it happens. That's just the way it is. 
And, you know, I still, I still think the Raptors are the biggest threat to them in the East just because of uh, their ability to defend Giannis, their ability to make Giannis kind of, you know, play to his weaknesses. Um, that hasn't necessarily been influenced by what we've seen so far at Disney World, though. The Raptors, um, you talk about them not giving up the three or, you know, sort of being willing to give up the three. They played the Heat uh, in, I think, the second or third game. And they threw us. They threw a defensive strategy at Duncan Robinson, who's the most highest volume scoring three point shooter almost of all time. Um, he is one of the, one of the, one of the most classic three point specialists you've ever seen in the NBA, and is six eight and has a great release and shoots forty five percent on them and will hit five before you even get warmed up. Um, they threw a strategy at him that neutralized him, and he barely could even get a shot off, much less he... I don't think he made a basket the whole game, and it was a four-point game. And so, you know, Nick Nurse does trot some things out, but um, that's one of the things. You have two teams that are known to give up threes who potentially could play the Heat, who not only are they a three-point specialist team, uh, one of the most dramatic and most impressive three-point specialist teams that you almost ever see. But they have made a change to their starting lineup in the bubble, and they've removed Myers-Leonard. Um, and kind of, it's not quite um, Houston Rockets small ball, uh, but it's not far off. Um, and they have put in Jay Crowder as their power forward, and they even play Jimmy Butler at power forward, frankly. Bam Adebayo, who plays like Draymond Green, um, can be point center, is the center, and then they have Duncan Robinson at guard and, and Kendrick Nunn, and then they bring Dragic off the bench and Tyler Hero off the bench. But that's an interesting matchup, and it's and, and watching the Heat so far, it's led people to wonder, do the Heat have it in them to pull off an upset or two? And I have to say, the matchup isn't bad for them. And, and that Raptors game, as well as they played, that very easily could have gone the Heat's way. Uh, McMahon, do you, you know, what have your impressions of the Heat been as you've seen what they've brought into the bubble here? I mean, I think you've got to at least respect them as a threat. And, and, and you know, you mentioned the Rockets. I think stylistically, they're more Warriors' death lineup. Um, and look, they don't have Steph and Clay. But I say that because you mentioned Bam is a lot like Draymond, except for he's a, you know, a bigger, taller, you know, more cut up version of that. And so the reason the Warriors weren't able to go death lineup or Hamptons five uh, for the vast majority of the games rolled out as a starting lineup and play at 30 minutes or so a game was because Steve Kerr didn't want to wear down Draymond by asking him to basically play up a position. In today's NBA, Bam Adebayo is a center. I mean, he is <laughs> he is plenty big enough to be a, a full-time center. So, you know, I, I think that's going to be interesting. You know, again, I still think they are... I think we've got to respect the Raptors as the defending champs and the biggest threat to the Bucks in the East, and then uh, then I think we can talk about the Heat. But yeah, no, they're they're you know you can't sleep on them. That's for sure. That's for sure. I love watching the Heat play. I love watching Bam Adebayo play. He's like an old school banger under there, but he's but he's but he's so agile and. I mean, the thing is, if you talk about the Bucks, look at all the bigs they have. That's the thing. 
we have not one Lopez, but two. <laughs> and and Giannis said, you know, you have bodies to put on Bam Adebato because a lot of these other, like the Celtics, when they played the, the Heat the other night, Bam Adebato destroyed them, just destroyed them. They don't have anybody to about, match up with him. Yeah, let's yeah. talk about the Celtics for a minute. So on the, on the bright side, Kemba Walker, who was, uh, I was really concerned about, has looked, and he's been on a minutes restriction, but he has looked, Jackie, he's looked good. He is very spry. The knee issue that slowed him down when he came back to working out and in the, in the winter, it doesn't appear to be affecting him right now, and he looks very good. Uh, and that, to me, is a huge thing. But um, the Celtics have been victimized repeatedly by big men uh, in the early going, uh, Yusuf Nurkic had a big game against him. He just mentioned Bam. And with the way things are going, that we keep getting closer to the finish line, and the 76ers Celtics stays aligned. And we've been talking about this for months, and it's it's a nightmare matchup for them, Jackie. I just, like, I, I they struggle with them in the regular season. They are struggling with big men here. Uh, Embiid looks good right now. He's in good shape. Um... Jackie, this is, you know, we talked about our concern with the Lakers. This is low, I guess, for the first round. What's the Celtics' concern level with what they're facing and potentially this matchup that may be headed our way? Well, I think if you got them in a quiet moment around the corner in the bubble while no one was listening, they'd tell you they'd prefer to miss the Sixers because of all the things you're, you're talking about here. The, the way they, they negated Joel Embiid last year was was Al Horford, who's now on Joel Embiid's team. And by the way, they're playing a little better together. But here's the thing I'll say about Philadelphia. I don't know, I don't know what to make of them. I mean, they made this lineup change. And then, of course, poor Shake Milton, his first game out as the new starter point guy, he, he had a horrendous game. Then he comes back and takes this three-point bomb at the buzzer and saves the game for him. But I'm looking at the Sixers, and the one thing I always see with them is that they take care of business defensively. And they're not doing that. And they look, they just look out of sync. I mean, we thought Ben Simmons to, at Power Forward was going to be the answer. He struggled a little bit. Josh Richardson seems to have lost his place since made these adjustments. They look, again, to me, like a team that, on the one hand, could, you know, has the talent to go all the way. But I keep, you know, how much longer are we going to wait until these guys fit the pieces they, they remind me a little bit of the Celtics last year. They really do. They just don't seem to fit. And they don't seem to enjoy each other the way other teams do. And I know that sounds like a silly thing to say, but I watched it happen in Boston here, and I've seen the difference this year, and it's, it's dramatically different, and it's, and it's translated into wins. Well, Shake Milton got that three-pointer because they were doubling Joel Embiid. Right, they were doubling Embiid in the post, yep. And that's and Al, the way Al passed it to him. Right. And that's the way that um, he was very surprised to get it, by the way. <laughs> he couldn't believe it was back in his hands. But that's the way this is going to work, um, regardless of whether they might snipe at each other like they did. Shake is going, is going to get shots because of Embiid's presence, and Embiid is going to potentially get single coverage because of Shake's uh, presence. So, um, But McMahon, um, unfortunately, the way the schedule works out – did they already play four times? I can't remember. But they don't play each other uh, in the lead-up. So we, we're not going to get a litmus test. Um, the Sixers have – they do play the Raptors, which could potentially be a second-round matchup. But, um, you know, I, I, that to me is um, – that to me is nervous time for both sides because whoever loses that series, 
uh, if that's what the matchup is going to walk away saying, boy, this was a disappointing as hell season. And I actually think that if the Clipper, if the uh, 76ers don't reach the conference finals, which would mean they would have to beat both Boston and Toronto, probably. Uh, I think this will be a failed season for them. But the Celtics, if they go out in the first round it, after signing Kemba Walker and with this Jason Tatum step forward year, it's a failed year for them, too. I agree with that. I, I think, though, that Philadelphia is the one who, especially if they're, if they're one and done, like there will be major shakeup there. Um, you know, and it, yeah, it could be at all levels or any level, front office, coaching staff, stars, you know, obviously down the roster. But, you know, this whole lineup change, I think it was, you know, it's kind of better late than never. But is it too late? This kind of major philosophical change, you get a preseason to go through and you kind of get to, you know, get the ebbs and flows of the seasons. You get to, you know, you get 82 games to kind of try to get a rhythm and, and figure out what the kinks are. They they don't have that. They had three scrimmages and boom, here you go into the into the seeding games. And so, you know, and look, it's like who knew Shake Milton was going to be a, a, a starting candidate. So, you know, it's not like they could have done this going into training camp. Um, but, you know, unless you could argue that maybe they would be better off of having spent all that money they uh, paid Al Horford on other another player players. But uh, it's it's a pretty massive challenge to be able to make that major of a change and expect things to, you know, just boom, click when the games really count. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call or click ranger.com or just stop by. So Tuesday night, we saw a statistical anomaly that was pretty damn impressive um, in an overtime win over the Kings, which is always a little bit enjoyable for the Kings fans. Uh, I'm being facetious because Luka Doncic, obviously, as is well known, could have been a King. He had a 30-20-10 line. Um, I think it was 34 points, 20 rebounds, 11 assists. Um, you don't see many 30-20 games in the modern NBA. You sure as hell don't see 30-20-10 games. Um, but Luka has been a little bit maligned despite some big numbers in the bubble so far because he hasn't been able to execute down the stretch of some games. Now, he was pretty good down the stretch of this one. Um, and Tim Bontemps actually had some interesting stats um, in that story, which I encourage everybody to read because he had sort of intelligence on um, on every team. Um, and he was talking about Luca's propensity late in games to rely on the step-back three-pointer. And um, Luca has, has taken 298 step-back threes this season. 
um, which is second in the league. Harden has the most. He's taken like 400-some. Um, but that Luka's uh, percentage on those um, is is low. Uh, it ranks uh, 22nd out of the 25 players with at least uh, 50 step-backs. And um, heading into last night's game, he was just 2 of 16 uh, on those things. And I would tell you this, I'm talking to scouts, this has already made it into the scouting report. Um, teams now sort of bait Luca by sagging off him into the step-back late in games. Um, this is your home team, hometown team there, um, McMahon. What have you thought of, of Luca and the Mavericks uh, with Luca putting up these huge numbers? But um, some people taking pot shots at his game. Uh, I guess that's what happens when you're so good. Yeah, and, you know, it's like I told Jackie over email, I can only express so much disappointment over a three-game stretch by a 21-year-old when he averages 34, 14, and 11 uh, in that span. But he's the he's the kind of talent who's – there are game like, look, the Rockets game, he had, I want to say it was a 28-point triple-double, and straight up he played like crap. He was 1-9 from three. There were definitely some of what you're talking about, those late, lazy – you know, st- deep step back, hero ball, and he, he actually airballed a couple of them. Um, he, he had, I want to say, eight turnovers in that game. But give me the, I'm going to, I'll give you Magic Johnson. Give me the list of 21 year olds in NBA history who you could, against playoff caliber competition, hand the ball to late in games and say, take us home. Nobody? Other than Magic? Well, I mean, it's just... So, that's my point. Like, it's putting a lot on 21-year-olds. And my point is, Luka took such a leap this season that we're holding him now to MVP standards. And, okay, that's, that's, what, that's part of the deal when you're that kind of a talent. But if we didn't think there were going to be growing pains, regardless of what he did with Real Madrid and the Slovenian national team... If we didn't think there were going to be these kind of growing pains, I think we were fooling ourselves. Um, I think, you know, the Mavericks certainly anticipated this. But what we saw in that Rockets game really kind of summed up the Mavericks season. Historically spectacular offense until crunch time comes, then it completely falls apart. That's, been, that's, the, that's the reason they're in the seventh seed and not like third in the Western Conference because they have been awful in the clutch all season long. And I think part of that is just, you know, young team trying to figure things out and, and learning some tough lessons. And, and it's happened to the best players in the game. And LeBron, it happened to LeBron early in his career. We can go through, we can go down the line. It, it, it actually, you know, if Lucas Doncic is the kind of competitor I think he is, I'm sure he's sitting in his room in Orlando watching the film and throwing things at the walls. I'm sure he's mad and he's frustrated. And that's good. You want him to be. You want him to be that way. And the, the hardest thing in the world to tell a young player is, when things start to go bad, don't try to get it back all at once. It's the hardest thing in the world to convince a young player they want to go for, for the hero ball, as you said, Tim. We're seeing that a little bit with the Grizzlies, and when they dropped their first three games, same idea. When things got a little tight, instead of attacking the rim, slowing things down, you, you know, you start coming down and go, I got to get it all back. And by the way, it's just not young players that do it. I mean, I remember Steph Curry telling me in that famous game against uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers when they won the championship and Kyrie came down and hit that three. Here's Steph Curry 
MVP, you know, first ballot Hall of Famer, his first instinct was, oh, I got to go down and match that. So it's not just young players. It's, it's, and, and the mm-hmm. whole key is to learn to slow yourself down and say, wait, there's a, we don't have to do it all at once. We can get this back. So this is not, you know, um, it, it doesn't mean that Luka Doncic is a bust or that everything we saw isn't real. Of course it's real. It's just growing pains. I don't have I don't have any worries about him. I mean, I think he'll yeah, of course he'll so. get better. I I always point out that you know he you know LeBron and Durant both missed their playoffs their first two years, and so by the time LeBron was twenty one, he hadn't he hadn't sniffed he hadn't sniffed September basketball, August basketball. No, he hadn't. You know, LeBron hadn't <laughs> didn't know what playing in May was when he was twenty one. Um, so hey, I'm Jordan okay missed. Are you couldn't Jordan miss the playoffs? Well, he didn't miss the playoffs, but he didn't go anywhere. And everyone's like, "Well, he's just one of those singular talents that can't take a team anywhere." I mean, that's what everybody said about Jordan. No one remembers yeah. that now, but that was what was said right. in the beginning. Think about what, how um, Kobe's teammates felt about him on the Lakers in the beginning. You know, Shaq told me a story once that Kobe went into the game. He's firing up shots all over the place, and Del Harris was the coach. And Del Harris pulled him out and put him on the bench, and he's sitting there and. Shaq swears this happened, and some guy came out of the stands, one of the Dr. Buss's friends, I guess. I don't know. I don't know who he was. And Shaq swears that he said to him, to Del Harris, put him back in the game. I mean, you know, this is how these things go. Now let's talk about the play of the week, the pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavily on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, Onyeho Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liquor, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hitch, strikeouts, Grand Salami's web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's ever up there, whether it's the roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit DirecTV.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Yeah, um, my question is what the Mavericks' short-term maneuverability is, uh, McMahon, uh, because they need to work on their supporting cast a little bit, um, but I don't know how much flexibility they have. Now, um, Tim Hardaway has a $19 million player option. Um, I assume he picks that up. I assume everybody with a player option, with the exception of maybe just one or two guys, is going to pick it up, um, which would probably put them without cap space if that happens. Um they are a desirable place to play. They also kind of secretly, wink, wink, nod, nod, want to save space for 2021 uh, when there's a big free agent classes before Luca gets paid so that they could add a third star via free agency. So I don't know what their short-term plans are. Um, they, have a, they have a lot of guys making low money who are nice role players, but they're not difference makers. So like, I guess my question is a year from now, when Luka is in year three and has playoff games under his belt and in, 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 in no doubt improves, will the Mavericks be able to improve much or will they have to wait to take a big swing at Giannis and whoever else may be in 2021 class? 
Well, I, I definitely agree with your point that they are set up intentionally to be able to take a big swing in 2021. So as far as like, you know, can they get a, you know, a, a third star? Because look, Porzingis certainly is looking the part of a star over the last, you know, whatever, 30 games or so. Can they get a third star? That's a 2021 conversation almost without question. Um, the only way I could see something different there is if the Bucks decided, and I don't anticipate this, if the Bucks decided to put Giannis on the block, and then I would imagine that Porzingis would absolutely be available in that scenario. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Hardaway, I would think, picks up that option. I think the roster is going to look pretty similar next season. You know, the, I'm, I would anticipate they would try to add um, you know, kind of some some playoff tested, uh, a playoff tested veteran or two, um, probably on a short term, you know, maybe even a one year type of deal. But yeah, twenty twenty one, that off seasons when I think they that's going to be their their one opportunity to really make a significant long term upgrade. And I say their one opportunity because obviously, you know, Luke is going to be on a max deal after that. Yeah, well, so who would you like to, if you could add one type of player, to, where, where do you think they need the most help? Well, if I could add one type of player, I'd probably get a seven-foot guy who can both run a pick and roll and uh, be a be a uh, finisher. I'd probably get uh, the, the guy who's going to be a two-time, maybe three-time MVP at that point. No, no, <laughs> no that, I'm talking that. about just, you know, come on, be realistic with me. Help me out. Well, I mean, that's the thing. I, I mean, I mean, Miami I thinks that they're going to make their pitch to Giannis. Dallas thinks they're going to make their pitch to Giannis. Uh, the Knicks probably think they're going to make their pitch to Giannis. Toronto thinks they're going to make their pitch to Giannis. The Warriors think that they're going to make their pitch to Giannis. I mean, every, I mean, I'll just be honest with you. Everybody's yeah. got this on their board, especially with next year being uncertain and who knows with the money and who knows how many games and everything like that. There's a whole bunch of teams with big – and look – Kawhi will be a free agent. LeBron will be a free agent. Don't everybody, you know, nobody talks about that. LeBron can opt out after next year. I don't think he's going anywhere, so, but I'm just, so, just AD. commenting. A, AD. Not, well, AD, maybe. He may only take a one-year contract. Paul George will be a free agent. Like, Paul George will look pretty good as a Maverick. You know, um, so the yeah. possibilities of you know, 2021 are going to be pretty interesting. And we'll be talking about it. I, I, I do think the Mavericks need a guy who can be, you know, like – Bradley Beal is is a guy who you know maybe he ends up changing teams at, at some point, um, but a guy who can play off the ball because obviously Giannis is going to be the the primary facilitator, but has big time scoring and playmaking ability. I think they need another guy who can who can get his own stuff uh, instead of relying on Luca to generate everything. Yeah. Well, it's been a terrific first week. Um, I couldn't have hoped for more. Uh, the second week here coming up, I think, you know, there's going to be, I suspect we're going to have a little bit less. Um, the stars are going to sit a little bit because some seeds are going to get settled. Um, but I think the basketball has been great, and I think it portends for a tremendous two-month run coming up. I, it couldn't have gone any better. Uh, huge compliments to the league. Um, Amazing. I just hope they keep going. Thank you, Jackie. Thank you, Tim. Thank you to Troy in Bristol who uh, braved uh, the remnants of a hurricane to uh, come into the studio to put this together. And Andrew Hahn, 
producing from Los Angeles. Everybody have a great rest of your week, and we will talk to you soon.